Have you ever had to recruit and every candidate falls short? Because someone on the team was so amazing that everyone else is just dull and lifeless compared to them. It happens to all of us once we've spent a couple years in management. What's really going on? Hi, I'm Deva Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter. If you've been in management for 10 years or more, you'll inherently get what I'm talking about in this episode. We're talking about the person who is so natural at their job, they wow every single person they come in contact with. So who are these people? Well, pull up a seat. Let's chat. Once in a blue moon, a person is hired and something special emerges. An employee that radically defines what right looks like. Their job performance is so surreal and proficient, they're basically a savant. Years after they depart, people still talk about what they did right and how they acutely shaped something important to the company. If you were a minstrel in the Queen's court, the musician would strum a harp and wax poetically about their life, their effect, and years later, people would hear a beautiful story. But no one would believe it until it happens to them. We hear in hushed tones through the office as people relay to each other, oh, she's a computer whisperer, or send Tim in, he'll get the customer on track. If you've been lucky enough to hire one of these people, you might actually get stuck in what is called the contrast effect. So what's the contrast effect? First, while I teach it as part of reviewing and training, it's more a what not to do part of training. This is one of those areas in which a Google search will pull up countless studies over the past 50 years, not on how employees do their job, but how we see them and perceive them. One study even breaks this down into five propositions. When the target is average, when the target is unfamiliar, the perceiver has enough cognitive resources, the context is homogenous, and the context is negative. Right. What the heck did I just say there? Okay, let me break this down with some personal context about a story that happened to me when I was in eighth or ninth grade and my grandmother was visiting. So let me give you a little information on my Nana. Nana was a Southern woman, grew up poor, married a guy in the Navy, got pregnant with her firstborn. She went to the ship one day to sign in and visit him, only to see that her name was already signed in on the ship visiting her husband. Yep. She married a cheater. This was 1950, and she did something very unheard of in those days. She left him, met my grandfather, they fell in love, and he adopted her son, and they had seven more kids together. Now, Nana, later in life, earned the moniker The General from the gaggle of grandkids. Most of us were blood, but there were a handful that came into the family via marriages. And she accepted and loved on all of her grandkids, blood or not. Sounds lovely and strong, right? Yeah, she was a cantankerous old broad. She didn't take guff from anyone. I remember being in the commissary with her one day when she was not happy with the quality of grapes. Now, if you have a military background, you know what I'm talking about with the limits of commissary produce, especially if you served in the 80s. 
She was so upset about those grapes, I was shocked as she just marched through the doors into the employee-only area and started yelling for Ramon, the produce manager. Now, I'm a rules follower. I would never break a rule like that. I swear, if she could have led him out by his ear, she would have. Ramon was now a mere subject in the court of Nana. Five minutes later, better grapes were brought out. All of us grandkids were fully aware of her ruthlessness. And as we got older, we learned to roll with it. But when we were younger, she was downright scary. So when she was visiting when I was around 14 or so, I brought home my report card. Good report card. Mostly A's, a couple B's. She sat there across the table from me. I don't know what happened in that moment, but suddenly... I was being lectured on how a cousin of mine who had trouble in school worked hard and got straight B's. Like, what just happened? The contrast effect. You see, something in my cousin's nature triggered her. Not triggered in that overblown sense you see flying around social media these days, but triggered her into conversation. Suddenly, my efforts ceased to matter because in her mind, My cousin worked harder, and she expected me to work harder and be like him. I know you might be listening right now and going, what's the point here, Deva? But bear with me. We're getting there. Remember those five propositions I just stated? The target is average. I was the target in this situation. Yep, she considered my effort to be average. The target is unfamiliar. My family was the only family within her brood that didn't live within an hour of her. She didn't have the luxury of us just dropping in on her unannounced or vice versa. All visits were planned and somewhat curated. The perceiver has enough cognitive resources. In that moment, the information she was supplied with gave her the idea I wasn't trying hard enough and she was attempting to compare apples to apples. The context is homogenous. Homogenous meaning similar. My cousin I was being compared to is about the same age and he's one year behind me. The context is negative. Being compared to my cousin who had lower grades, Nana was comparing my effort to my cousin's effort. Now, here's my context. He went to public school. I was in private school. My schooling wasn't any better, but it was certainly different. She was not comparing apples to apples. We're going to slowly creep our way back to those savants we work with. In two decades plus of recruiting, I've had two special types of people show up. They are rare. So rare that it's easy as managers to hold everyone else in those positions accountable to how well that person has done. They are what I like to call the battle axe and the plug and play. These two types of people go to work because work is where they are self-actualized. You know, the top of the Maslow chart. Coming to work and helping your company make money? For them, it's the equivalent of going to church and being filled with the Holy Ghost. The tongues they speak in leave you in awe of what they just did, slightly bewildered. They lay their hands on something and it magically works. And we stand in awe of their talent. Please note, you will never, ever ever recognize that these people are what they are in the interview. So it's pointless to go looking for these people. Just learn to recognize it when it's on board. So the battle axe, 
Merriam-Webster has two definitions. The second definition describes it as an older woman who is sharp-tongued, domineering, or combative. Sounds like my Nana, right? Well, that's not the definition I'm going for here. Look at a battle axe. It has no moving parts. You can use it as an axe, but it's way more effective as a weapon. You keep it sharp. It slices. It can shield you if it's large enough. It can be a blunt, forced object. It extends your reach, and it's simple to maintain. Highly effective when you need it. You can't deploy it for everything, but when that moment comes and it's sharpened, it's trusty. It does a couple things really well, and it's going to work when you find yourself in a pinch. So who is this person? In my almost 30 years of working, I've come across this person twice in a receptionist role. A handful of welders I've worked with, they could do both mirror welding and copper nickel TIG welding, and they had dozens of certifications. Yeah, we made sure to keep those guys around. One recruiter I worked with, she was the second highest biller in the office, only working half-time, four hours a day. The list goes on a bit, but it's not long. The fact remains, they are rare. This is the paint inspector that gets excited watching paint dry. Literally, they speak the language of paint. This person will talk about their job and you look at them mystified that somebody actually enjoys that. And a weird smile crosses your face as you tilt your head to the side like a dog when it's unsure of what's happening in that moment. Now, as a manager, this becomes the person you call on when you need something expertly done because you know they'll do it right. You might have tried them on in other positions and they tried hard, but they weren't very good or they were barely competent. But most importantly, a battle axe, they know their limits. They know what they are good at. They can describe why something works in their field. They might be qualified for something else and do a competent job, but they will always come back to that well that feeds their spirit. These people, they're held in such high regard that others looking in, they see it. And then they start making the exclamation that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, like episode 18, you know that I believe People who perform their job well and are respectful of their coworkers, customers, and vendors, they should not be held accountable to loving their job. Why are we contrasting and comparing the spiritual fulfillment of one person to the person who took the job, does it well, and they took the job because this job affords them the right schedule to coach their child's little league team? That's unfair to both people. It's unfair to your battle axe because they want to help you raise your business. They don't want their skill set to suddenly be the point of contention and people start shying away from them. Or worse, what if your staff goes to your battle axe and asks them to tone down their behavior so they can look better? It's unfair to your other employees because you created an unobtainable expectation. You are expecting them to redefine their spiritual alignment for your gain. Pretty ridiculous expectation if you ask me. Instead of using the contrast effect on your staff, use the battle axe. They have tricks up their sleeve. Have them write out problem-solving SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures, or do some micro-training for your team, meaning a 15-minute how-to on a specific aspect or task. 
if they suck at documentation, get an admin over to their desk to take notes on what they do and put it in a nicely formatted document for everyone to refer to. Remember, the battle isn't won with just battle axes, and this person has a highly refined yet very limited skill set. Now, this leads us to the other person who you might have encountered once in your career, maybe twice. They are the inverse of the battle axe. They're the plug and play. Again, you won't identify this special spark in interviews. You'll see it develop over time. A lot of people, when I describe this phenomenon, they think they fit this category, but they don't. A true plug and play would never have the ego to automatically assume it's them. Humility, it's the hallmark of this person. Yes, they will tell you where they are competent, but they would never be so bold as to take credit for what they are about to do for your business because they have the power of the team. The plug and play is just that. You plug them into a role and they just get it. These people are driven by an insatiable curiosity. They hydrate by getting answers to their questions. They have an ability to dial in on departmental issues, and they are great managers and great at deploying their team's talent in a way that it is shockingly brilliant. When you stumble into a plug-and-play, you'll know it in about six months. They didn't rise into management because they like to manage. They rose into management because it was the fastest way to positively affect your company. They are master communicators, level-headed, creative, cunning. They don't want to run their own business typically. They have a deep desire to solve problems. Remember the analogy from the episode Clams? These are often the challenge people in extreme form. In real life, it would not be unusual if they have ADHD. The right form of ADHD can allow their brain to move at a quicker pace, the ability to hyperfocus, and many people with ADHD are super likable and engaging. In any case, this person becomes the wrangler for you. They can take on your bad news and make it fun for the team to overcome. And they know how to celebrate wins. They understand that systems, which they often create to keep themselves on track, benefits the team. Their insatiable curiosity allows them the ability to communicate effectively with their staff and cross-departmentally because they dive into root issues and they make the person they are speaking with feel important about what they do. This person will never place their skill set above anyone else because they're humble and they want to solve a problem. When that storm has passed and the processes are reinforced and you're ready for the next storm, they'll likely move on since they've mastered your environment. Don't worry about that. If you've been deploying the CLAMS philosophy, they'll most likely download everything into their team and figure out a strategy for moving forward. A plug and play will not leave you in the lurch. Maybe your advancement team member is ready to move up. That will be the last thing your plug and play does before moving on. They will ensure someone is ready to take over and there is a plan. You need to understand how rare this person is and the contrast effect. It won't come into play in this situation because this individual is a bit otherworldly. The plug and plays often have a network of managers or C-suite execs that have previously worked with them. These execs sing their praises all day long and don't mind giving you the scoop on what to expect. When you stumble into this person, because you are more likely to stumble into this person 
answer their questions, step back, and let them loose. In real life, I've come across this person twice, and I've heard one speak. If you have the chance to find any talks by Alan Mulally, he is the poster child for the plug and play. I don't believe he has ADHD, though, but he has all the attributes that I've been talking about. Take the time to understand how he left Boeing as the COO and was recruited to Ford as the CEO. He was recruited because those C-suite people know each other. His solutions were simple, effective, motivational, and he left when his job was done. So, in short, when you hire a battle axe, use them to help you create SOPs, standard operating procedures, and give tips to your team on daily tasks and objectives. Never compare your staff to the battle axe. If you ever have the luck of stumbling into a plug-and-play, tell them the end goal and let them do their thing. Plug-and-plays have rippling effects that positively affect your business for years. Battle axes? They're rare. Plug-and-plays? They're the songs of minstrels that become legends in the Queen's Court. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.